0: Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit gave us the Bible that one day we may read it and one day get to enter. But we find that the Holy Spirit is the one driving salvation today. Then that means that these qualities I'm talking about are the qualities that the Holy Spirit imparts on the church. On salvation. On Christian salvation. Right? Meaning, they can only come from the Holy Spirit and help the church to be upright, to be in right standing with the Lord, right? Fierce biblical faithfulness, moral uprightness, separation or separateness, whichever. The quality of faithfulness the church ought to have now. But now, I want us to look at this very important quality of Christian salvation called God's unconditional love. Meaning that if we are going to be a church in this public, in the world, then when they look at us, they should be able to see God's unconditional love. And again, I said, we don't teach so much love, 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 the abuse of the grace here. Well, it's righteousness. Sin is sin, whatever, you know, and all that. But now, if the church wants to minister to the dying world, God's unconditional love, right? Then, it's invariably so that we cannot go anywhere else to find that type of God's unconditional love except that we go to the Bible. Let me say this differently again. If the church is going to minister forth God's unconditional love to the world, then she cannot give any other type of God's unconditional love except that one which is in the Bible. Hallelujah! Except the one you see in the Bible. The Bible is our reference. Hallelujah. I decided to take this quality here. But when I took this quality, this one here that is called, the church must have God's unconditional love. Meaning, the way you relate with the world, that has to come out. Hallelujah. Meaning, if you are going to relate to the world, then God's unconditional love must be seen. Because it's one of the main qualities of Christian salvation. God's unconditional love. Meaning, the church in her fiber, her spiritual fiber and physical fiber, should be made up of that. Because you cannot give what you don't have. Right? Yeah. So, meaning, if Jesus came and showed us God's unconditional love, for us to be Christ-like, we have to show it to the world. Right? So, th- th- just a, I took a quality like that. But you're going to see today that that quality is very deep. God's unconditional love. Right? Now, like I've said it before, that if we are going as a church to teach or to want to have God's unconditional love, or if we want to give it to the world, you understand that the church wants to minister to the dying world God's unconditional love, right? And he's saying the Bible is our reference. He said today there's so much different types of love being given, it's so much. That if you start giving unconditional love or love, what you call, whatever love you give to the world, you may wonder, am I giving God's love? But he's saying, for us to be sure that we're giving God's unconditional love as an important quality of us, of Christian salvation, giving it to the world, then we have to refer to the Bible. He says, only that which we will find in the Bible, if we find that we tally, we line up what we are ministering to the world, what the Lord is ministering to the church or to the world, then we can be sure we are giving the world God's unconditional love. Hallelujah. Step by step. So the Bible then becomes the reference, right? And so today we are going to look at the Bible. Why am I focusing on the Bible? Because you can give love, unconditional love to the world. Let's say you go to the streets and feed street children. Or you go to the hospital and pray for people. Or you build for a weed home or whatever. But you find that the United Nations is also doing those things in another name. So for us, there are certain key features, key principles that must be highlighted, must be upheld as we minister God's unconditional love to the world. Because this is now salvation. Hallelujah. And the problem, as you will see very shortly, is that the church has become more of a charitable organization like a UN they have fallen to that where they have given so-called unconditional love that is actually the world. But there are certain principles that must come out if you are going to give God's unconditional love to the world. That is the difference. We are born again, right? Hallelujah. And so, step by step, we are moving on. So I have said, that is the importance of referring to the Bible. That when I go, for example, to feed the street children, or to take care of widows, or to talk to people in the street to help somebody, or whatever, go to hospital, pray for the sick, whatever it is that you are led to do, that when I go to do it, and I check the Bible, I'll find that it is the same, lines up. Then I'm sure I am giving God's unconditional love to the world. Hallelujah. Now, Listen to me very carefully, precious people, as we begin. Now, if we are to go to the Bible and seek out, where is God's unconditional love in the Bible? If you look at the scriptures, you give a scan. You scan through the scriptures in the Bible. I could tell you that this entire Bible is one invitation card for the wedding feast of the Lamb. I could look at it that way. I've spoken this, I've preached this all over the world. I've said the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible, that one day we may read it and one day get to enter. You see that? So I could say that. But now I want to go finer. You understand? The finer is this. I'm saying that when you look at the Bible, and let's say you want to now preach God's unconditional love to the church, to the congregation, to the world. You want to give it to them. When you look at the Bible, you will see the following you'll find that there are certain scriptures in the Bible that tower out, they tower, tower out, taller, tower, tower, tower out as a classical demonstration of God's unconditional love, as the perfect, the excellent demonstration, example of God's unconditional love. So I'm going to look at one of them, and I call them towers. The towers now that God built. And you see that in each of those scriptures, the Lord came out deliberately and by design. He designed how he's going to build that power of his unconditional love for mankind. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to go through that design, that scheme, what he planned, and what components he used for constructing those towers. Then you see that there's so much wealth, knowledge that the church can tap from, that she may be stout and also minister the same type of love, right? Hallelujah. One of the main scriptures that really attests, which means testifies to God's unconditional love in the Bible, is the scripture in the book of Exodus chapter 12. So in Exodus 12, you see that the Lord built a tower of his unconditional love for mankind in Exodus 12. Hallelujah. The way the Lord built that tower, that scripture as a tower of his unconditional love, a classical demonstration of his unconditional love to mankind, when he built that tower of His, the demonstration, the example, the perfect example of his unconditional love to mankind, then you find the following. You find that the Lord built it using certain components. Let me just describe this. In that scripture, you find... That the Lord is talking about Israel in captivity. Hallelujah. Israel is in slavery, in captivity. Then the Lord has to come and deliver Israel. But she suffers distress. Hallelujah. She suffers tremendous distress. And then you hear the Lord telling Moses that, Tell the house of Jacob that their cry has reached me. And because their cry has reached me, I have decided in heaven, meaning heaven has decided that I will go to deliver them. And I say, it is that process of delivering Israel that becomes a tall tower of the demonstration of God's unconditional love to the church, to mankind, right? It is that going to deliver Israel in Egypt. As you will see, it will transcend a little bit more than Israel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah he says the following, however, if I come, now I'm going to talk about the different components, the building blocks that he uses to raise that power, so that when you look at the Bible in a, in a quick panoramic scan, that one day is a tower, by design he used certain components certain building blocks that will be key to us as a church we will also want to know what are those components that when we are ministering God's unconditional love to the world, those components we will also use that whatever we are ministering may also tower high as God's unconditional love to the world. Hallelujah. Israel was promised that God would deliver her. She would go into captivity. Remember the prophecy, all that was spoken, right? She would go into captivity and then God would deliver her. But the holy God as I know him, now has a problem because when israel went into egypt there is one problem israel went and melted blended in with the egyptians hallelujah and yet she is supposed to serve the holy god of israel right and she blended in so well that i when i was in israel for my seven years where the lord called me from when i was in israel this is what i saw in israel Okay, now there are three races, you can say. But originally there were two races in Israel. There is a group that is called Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi. Those are the ones who are very pure white. Pure, 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 pure white. Ashkenazi. They are white people with blonde hair, golden blonde hair, and all that kind of... Even white hair. Hallelujah. And those now Ashkenazi, meaning those are the Jews that came from the West. They came from Europe from Russia, from the United States and so forth during the Aliyah, Zionism, right? Now, there is another group that came from where? From Egypt and Iraq, Iran, Morocco and so forth. But they came from the east and I want to focus on this group that came from the east and Egypt. These are the ones that were blended in there and remained there. It's amazing. It's incredible. When you look at the culture of the Sifaradim, Sifaradim, Ashkenazi and the Sephardim. If you look at the culture of the Sephardic Jews, they call it, eh? the ones born in Israel, I call Sabra. When you're there, they say the Sabra. But don't worry about that now. I'm talking about the ones who came from the east. Then you see where the problem was. You see why they almost returned from the wilderness back to Egypt. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because their foods are actually Egyptian food. They eat falafel. They eat shawarma. This falafel is, uh, is peas, which is roasted and made like a bowl like this. And put, they put in the pita bread and so forth. Shawarma is meat. They cut, cut meat and put on a big block, round, and there is a ro- fire. So it's rotating and roasting. They cut it and put it in that falafel, whatever. They eat hummus and all that. But when you look at the foods they eat, those foods are Arabic foods. Their origin is Arabic. Hallelujah. So, If they came all the way to Israel, when the Lord delivered them, and until now, they have still maintained that lifestyle, that culture. That means they really blended in with Egyptian foods, Egyptian lifestyle. That's why in the wilderness, they were still reciting Egyptian poems. uh, Poems about the sweet Nile, (laughs) river Nile. Our mother that fed us good water, this Moses, he has brought us to die here, where well, there are no graves. Yeah? So the, the, their hearts, the cucumbers, the big light pots of meat, whatever, right? So there was a blending in. They blended. So if you were looking for any reason, qualification, for God to go and deliver them, there was none because they have fallen to sin. The Holy God of Israel is separate from sin. They have mingled into the Egyptian worship, Egyptian, everything. Hallelujah. So there was a blending in. They blended. So if you were looking for any reason, qualification, for God to go and deliver them, there was none because they have fallen to sin. The holy God of Israel is separate from sin. They have mingled into the Egyptian worship, Egyptian, everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And for God to have remembered the original covenant he had with them and decide that now I am going to deliver them in Egypt no matter what. No matter their condition. Right? Rebelliousness. Even they have grown different. In a different direction. For God to decide that anyhow I will go and deliver them. That is a demonstration of God's unconditional love to humanity. Hallelujah. As you will see very shortly. Humanity. He said, no matter what, let me just go. I'm saying that if you look at the way the Lord constructed the power of his unconditional love in the book of Exodus 12, then you pull out certain components by design he used to build that power. And those components bring a lot of wisdom and knowledge and wealth to us in understanding how we should minister unto the world. Number one, he says, if I'm coming to deliver them, I will come at the midnight hour. So the first component you see built, used to build that unconditional love is number one, midnight hour. And therefore, that's now first block. Therefore, it goes without saying, it really goes without saying that we too now, if we ever want to minister unconditional love, God's unconditional love to the world. Listen to the following. He says, even if you're feeding street children, Even if you are praying for the sick in hospital or wherever, or whatever it is you are doing to minister forth God's unconditional love, he says the following. He says, when he watches you praying for them, or whatever it is you are feeding the children or building for the widows, whatever, when he watches you ministering to them, he should hear the following. He should hear you say, midnight hour midnight hour please remember the midnight hour prepare for the midnight hour he says when he hears that when he hears you dispensing that component unto them then he say you you will know that you are surely giving them god's unconditional love so did you understand he's saying he should hear number two he told moses that when i come deliver them tell them however they must prepare for the midnight hour And in that preparation, then you see a second component. He says, now, let each of the households, families, each of the people, get a perfect lamp without defect. Meaning the second component after the midnight hour is the perfect lamp without defect. And so he's saying that we too, when we decide to minister God's unconditional love, the world, for example, or you are ministering it to the church. He says he must hear you. He must hear you talk about that preparedness. He must always hear that that dispensing of that unconditional love that you are doing is centered around the perfect lamp without defect. And he says when you do so, then he knows you will be giving unto that church or unto the world, unto whomsoever you are talking to, God's unconditional love. The second component is that that unconditional love we give must be centered around the perfect Lamb of God without defect. And you all know who He is, right? Hallelujah. Then you don't have to teach other things. Because there's so much it tells right there. If you're going to center everything around the perfect Lamb without defect, number one, He is holy, Right? There you go, you see. So you have the whole battery of everything that goes with that. He is holy. You understand? So it means, as you are going to give it, you are going to be ascertaining, emphasizing holiness. He is holy. He is holy and name it. All the things about the lamb. Right? Can I move to the third one? And then you hear him saying that. uh, Tell them that when I come, and he's mentioned the midnight hour, deliverance. And he says, perfect lamp without defect. And then he says, tell them, however, to slaughter that lamp and now get the perfect blood of the perfect lamb without defect and post it on the doorposts and door frames. So the third component is the blood. The blood. He's saying when God was designing forth the power, how to build forth his unconditional love for the church, for humanity. He talked about the midnight hour. And then he talked about the perfect lamb without defect. And then now he says the blood. The blood is a major component. Meaning if you're ministering out there, talking to street children, feeding them, I should be able to hear you telling them the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood that has power. You're always invoking the blood. Invoking the blood. Invoking the blood. Hallelujah. And he says when he hears you do so, then he will be sure that you are for sure administering God's unconditional love to the world. Hallelujah. So he has now mentioned some three major components for, that he used by design to build that tower. The tower that when you look at the Bible on a scan like this, ah, 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 that's a tower. That's a tower. Wow. That's a demonstration of his unconditional love. Now we are seeing the design, what he used to build it. And then, further on he says, he goes on to say, bitter herbs, bread without yeast. So you can add those if you want. You understand? Now, however, when you move further on, now, when you go deeper, in other words, so when you go to the next component, remember I've mentioned the midnight hour, the perfect lamp without defect, the perfect blood of the perfect Lamb without defect. Now, I have said, you can say bitter herbs and bread without yeast if you want. If you listen to God, when God came from heaven to demonstrate forth his unconditional love for mankind, you hear him mention another component, a fourth one, you hear him saying, the firstborn. The firstborn. The firstborn. Please, remember the firstborn. You say firstborn all the time. You now hear him shouting. Shouting firstborn, firstborn in everything. In fact, he exalts it. And very soon you are going to see that this component called the firstborn will be the main support, the main pillar that supports that power. In fact, you'll see that 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 pronouncement, that declaration of firstbornhood, firstborn, 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 is what qualifies Exodus 12 to be the true demonstration of God's unconditional love to the world. That now becomes the acid test, litmus test. Now listen to this now. Let us turn to scripture first, so we may understand. So I have, in other words, been summarizing a bit of the major items on Exodus 12, which is the tower scripture I'm talking about, towering high, right? And I've been talking about the, path, the midnight hour, perfect lamb, perfect blood. And I now mention the firstborn hood. But now listen to this now. You will find that when the Lord was coming forth to deliver Israel. And he's so doing to demonstrate unto mankind his unconditional love. Then you hear him saying that Israel is his firstborn. Hallelujah. Can we read it now? Exodus 12 verses 1 to 29. That's what I've been summarizing. Hallelujah. Exodus 12 verses 129 you can read further on or beyond but that's the general reference scripture. Right? But now listen to this precious people. He's saying that when you look at that scripture then now when you're pulling out the components we go to another scripture. This becomes we are now going to narrow down and look at one of the major components the Lord uses to construct forth the power of his unconditional love to the world. And I've given the four, major. And now I want us to major on firstborn. Because I said it's that firstbornhood that actually qualifies this Exodus 12 to be the true demonstration of God's unconditional love to the world. Hallelujah. Now, can you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23? Hallelujah. Now listen to what he says. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Can I focus on this now? If you read Amplified, he said, he says, that Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Then he says, let my firstborn go, so that he may serve me. So Amplified says, says serve me. here he says worship me right so listen precious people here when the lord is coming to demonstrate forth his unconditional love to humanity to the church then you hear him raising those components and we are pulled out one where he's saying firstborn 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 he says look israel is my firstborn son firstborn son and he says i told you because if you read the scripture before he says go and do these miracles before him He gave Moses the power to change water into a snake and whatever. Go do these things. And then tell him that Israel is my firstborn son. And he's saying, if you read what he's saying, he's saying this. So, please, release my firstborn. If you don't release my firstborn, I'll kill yours. That you may understand what I'm going through. Did you understand the whole thing? Yes. Then you almost see another revelation of the nature of God right there. You understand? the nature of Jehovah. He says, if you don't release my firstborn son, even me, I'll kill yours, so you may know what it means to have your firstborn son in jail, in captivity. And yet, one of the scriptures we're going to read here, if you look at Amplified, Amplified says the following. Amplified says, my firstborn son, meaning, then he puts in brackets, my pride, my hope, and my joy. Do you understand now what you're going to teach the church? He says, Israel is my firstborn son. Release him. If you don't, I'll show you what I'm going through. I'll kill yours also. That you may feel what I feel. In other words, he's saying, Israel is my pride. But my pride is now in jail. Israel is my hope. But my hope is in jail. Israel is my joy. But my joy is in imprisonment. Every home in Africa, and in Israel, of course, even in Europe, in America, name it, every home, every home, especially Africa here, where there is a firstborn son. We're talking about firstborn son. Every time the firstborn son is successful in that home, then that home is successful. Even the neighbors talk, they say, wow, Here's some some homes, some sons are very powerful. You know, that young man is working very well, very close to his father. You know, the way children are rebellious sometimes their parents. But the relationship between that one and the father is so tight. And you see, he's watching the cattle. He has a family with his wife. They go to church on Sunday. He doesn't drink. That, That man is very blessed. His firstborn is strong. He's well. He's okay. Maybe he went abroad and he came back as a dentist. Right? And he's a doctor or a lawyer. Whatever it is, a banker. Whatever, it may be also related to education or not. But I'm giving the qualities, the values sometimes that the Africans and other communities put to success. They say, maybe he, just, he has a family. He's settled. He's selling things here. So he's doing well. They are go- oh, every Sunday they're going to church with his wife and children. Right? And then they say, wow, look, that's a very successful family. But the power is this then. If you want to know that the firstborn is the pride of the home, it's the hope of the home and the joy of the home the way amplified puts it the three facets look at this now if somebody for example next door next home has a firstborn son and he's smoking opium he's smoking opium he doesn't shower he sleeps out he makes noise <laughs> <laughs> two two a.m every night <laughs> oh maria maria whatever he's singing out of drunkenness in the village. Now, that is the shame. Did you understand me? Did you understand what the Lord talk about here? Yes. When the firstborn is successful, wow, when the firstborn is successful, the family is always successful. The family is okay, it's right. But when something happens, He has gone abroad to study. He came back, he has done the hair. He has knitted the hair like a woman. He has an earring here, earring here. He has a small bag and a tumbo cut kind of t-shirt. He is homosexual. He is walking like that. He is going to the gay pubs. He went abroad as firstborn to study. He came back like that. There is a big scar in that home. Why? Because the firstborn always leads the way. That's why the Lord says, the pride. His pride, the hope, his hope The joy, his joy The joy of the family When the firstborn, something is wrong This firstborn is trying to marry But uh, he cannot He's just running around with women He's not settled, within a short time He's infected with hiv Eight. Then there's no pride there So my firstborn has been taken to captivity There is huzuni Sadness in the home Are we together? Those are basic things. But now I want you to understand where the Lord was coming from. When he was saying, release my firstborn. If you don't, I'll strike you. Meaning, his firstborn was in jail. Captivity. You can imagine your firstborn being in jail. People are talking. You're being put to shame. Right? Hallelujah. You must tell the church this. And so, we are now beginning to look at this aspect this component called firstborn what is it that the church can borrow from what is the wealth there that we can tap in that we may grow in understanding not only the lord his nature but the love we should give the world right i mentioned three things there i say understanding not only the lord not only his nature but also the type of love We well, are saying let us go deep into this firstborn hood that we may understand that but now we are beginning to understand why he brings in firstborn hallelujah Because he says, Israel is my firstborn. Meaning, Israel is the firstborn among the nations. Hallelujah. Among the nations. That's what he meant. But my firstborn is in captivity. So, I am in shame. If you don't release him, I'll kill you as also. That you may feel what I feel. And if you go further on, If you read, for example, Exodus 12 that we gave as a reference scripture, 1 to 29, Exodus 12, you find that in verse 12, he says, at the midnight hour, he strikes down firstborn. Verse 29, actually, he really comes and strikes them down from the king to the slave woman in the village and also of the animals, right? That's just how much firstborn is so key to the Lord. Hallelujah. And so he's saying that we too, when we decide to minister God's unconditional love, To the world, for example. Or you are ministering it to the church. He says, he must hear you. He must hear you talk about that preparedness. He must always hear that that dispensing of that unconditional love that you are doing is centered around the perfect love without defect. And he says, when you do so, then he knows you will be giving unto that church or unto the world, and whomsoever you are talking to, God's unconditional love. Hallelujah. Because he says Israel is my firstborn, meaning Israel is the firstborn among the nations. Hallelujah, among the nations. That's what he meant. But my firstborn is in captivity, so I am in shame. If you don't release him, I'll kill you as also that you may feel what I feel. And if you go further on. If you read, for example, Exodus 12 that we gave as a reference scripture, 1 to 29, Exodus 12, you find that in verse 12, he says, at the midnight hour, he strikes down firstborn. Verse 29, actually, he really comes and strikes them down from the king to the slave woman in the village and also of the animals, right? That's just how much firstborn is so key to the Lord. Can we move on now? Hallelujah. Exodus 11, verse 5, that you may understand this thing about firstborn. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I read this now? Verse 5. He says, And all f- the firstborn in the land, the pride, the hope, and the joy of Egypt, shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the and servant, the maid servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. Hallelujah just to underscore what I meant, the pride, the joy, the hope. But then, to understand how much firstborn, that component that he used among others to, to build this tower, how much this component of firstborn is so key. Then you hear him now saying, that now look, that, uh, that uh, when I come, and you don't give me mine, how important it is to me. You don't give me my firstborn. I'll strike the firstborn of the all human, all families in Egypt, and then, plus the firstborn of the beasts. That's just how serious it is. Can we move on now? Hallelujah. Another one. Exodus 12, verses 12 to 13. You can read that. That's the fulfillment of that. That's the warning that I'll come and strike the first bones. Right? Hallelujah. This is what he says here. On the same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Can I describe? Focus on me now. Can I describe now before I move to the next scripture? Why is he saying here? What is he saying and why is he saying like that? This is why he's saying so. He's saying the following. He's saying that when I come to Egypt at the midnight hour eh, to strike down the firstborn from the king Pharaoh all the way down to the maiden servants at the hand mill, and the firstborn of the beasts however you israel because of the blood that i instructed the perfect lamb and the perfect blood of that perfect lamb that i told you to put on the doorpost and he says when i will see the blood i will remember can i explain that however for you your firstborn will not die because when i come to construct that power the power of god's unconditional love to man and I'm now talking about, I'm now using the firstborn. And I'm coming to strike down the firstborn of the enemy. And to preserve your firstborn. He said, the reason I'll safeguard your firstborn is because of this perfect blood of the perfect lamb you smeared on the door. That, but when I will see that blood, then he says, I will remember. Remember what? He's saying in other words, listen to this now. He's saying in other words, that there is a family of God in heaven, that the family of God inside the family of God, there is a firstborn. There is the firstborn of God inside God's family. There is a firstborn. So, in the chambers of justice, in the corridors of justice of heaven, when there was a judgment being passed out, being passed, and for me, I've seen the lightning strike three times on the ark of the new covenant. And the Bible was there. And I, these things were written out. I've written all these on the web, right? When judgment was being passed, when the Lord took me to the throne room, that's what I saw, what he showed me. And I always say it. In fact, from then, very far away, many, many years ago, when he was showing me that, then I said, the three strikes of lightning on the ark of the covenant, they represent the power and the authority and the judgment of God against sin. I've been saying that forever, right? So anyway, but listen to this now why is he saying that he will God, the firstborn of israel because he says when judgment was being passed against sin in the chambers of justice of judgment court the courts of heaven the higher chambers of justice were now judgment determination judgment was being passed being made on sin then he says look at what happened that within the family of god the first born of the family of god the firstborn of heaven whose name is the messiah already went forward and stood inside the courtroom of god and said look lift the hand like this say i will stand in as a surety for the family of god did you understand me for the family of god i will stand in as surety i pay surety. you hear, you always hear the judge saying that i need a surety of this amount so i can release this person a surety. He said, no, I step in and pay the surety. Now release him. Then they release him. Hallelujah. Now you have been caught on that. A surety. He said, he already stood and paid the ransom. He went like this and he stood. I have stood. However, as the judgment comes, the firstborns, but for me, I have stood for the family of God because I am the firstborn in that family. The firstborn always has responsibility. If you look at the African setting, you see that the firstborn, when the plowing season is happening, is the one running and bringing the ox and arranging with the other sons of another home, and they're starting to plow for the mama, for the father, for whoever. The firstborn is always on the front line of responsibility. And all the other sons always look at the firstborn, all the other children, and they go after. If the firstborn is running around in the bar, now, ukimwi, drinking, and women, and then, ukimwi then you can almost tell what the other sons are going to be. It's always very shocking, right? Even the girls, if the first born daughter, but I'm talking about sons now, if the first born daughter starts with abortions and name it and where babies at home, you almost see every other daughter is giving birth at home. It's very shocking. It shocks me so much. That's why they need to break that chain, right? But I'm saying, sometimes you see him taking a child to school, a brother, when they say, where is the father? and the fatherless has died, it's a parent's day. Look, the firstborn son always takes to school, whatever. So there is responsibility here, he says. He says, in the family of God in heaven, that family is comprised of Israel and the church. And he says, in that family, there is a firstborn son. The firstborn of heaven. That the Lord is saying, that the reason the firstborn among the Israelites is saved is because Already during the laying of the foundations of the earth, the firstborn in the family of God, where Israel and the church exist, in that family, the firstborn of heaven was already slain. He poured blood already to build the foundation of the earth. And look at this now. And that's why he says that this slaughtering of the perfect lamb without error, without defect, without lawama, without scar, this slaughtering of a lamb for the midnight hour and taking the blood and sprinkling on their houses was actually symbolic that he was saying that when i will come and i see the blood i will remember i will remember the surety that was already paid for you so i will not touch your firstborn you understand because there was nothing otherwise good for the lord to deliver humanity no they abused him very bad deliver israel until now i cannot tell you that the the the, the rebellion if i told you the rebellion that's there you'll be very shocked they should have known there's such a high expectation on them hallelujah if you know the amount of morality there i don't want to talk you know shocking i think the highest in the world probably but let's just focus on me now hallelujah this is what the lord is saying here he's saying because now i have already the firstborn of heaven has already offered himself when judgment was being done Then he says, for you, you are now exempt. He has paid your surety. He has paid your ransom. Paid for your state. So now when I see the blood, I will remember that. So I will jump you over, pass you over, deliver you, safeguard you. I've mentioned many words. Jump you over, pass you over, deliver you, safeguard you, protect you, save you, redeem you. Meaning the price was paid for redemption, right? That's what he meant in Exodus 12. Then there is Exodus 34. We are still on firstborn. And so, we are still on this component, the fourth one, of firstbornhood. That's the subtitle. Now we have seen why God cherishes firstborn. Now we see why I said that it is this component of firstbornhood, firstborn, that actually qualifies Exodus 12 to be a true power of the demonstration of God's unconditional love to the world. You see that now? Because now we have touched on firstborn of heaven. Did you understand? Hallelujah. Can we move on now? And he says this. We are reading now Exodus 34 verses 19 Exodus 34, 19-24. Exodus 34, 24 Hallelujah. Exodus 34, then he says 19-24, he says the following. He says, The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including the firstborn male of your livestock, whether from the herd or the flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb but if you do not redeem it, break his neck. Aye. Do you see the nature of the God we serve? If you cannot redeem it, you cannot have him. Break the neck. We, you you cannot. Not, none of us should have. See, redeem all your firstborn sons. He said that. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Six days you are to labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest you must rest verse 22 celebrate the feast of weeks very important feast on what i'm saying on firstbornhood. celebrate the feast of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year three times a year your men are to appear before the sovereign lord the god of israel i'll drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up there three times each year to appear before the lord your god can i explain now listen very very carefully here so you may understand the centrality of this firstborn hood to the lord when he's coming to construct a tower of his unconditional love and thereby requiring of you that you also when you're going to give god's unconditional love to the world you must be having this tower in your lives this is the tower that must be seen the red the pronouncements we are hearing here must be heard from you also. About the blood. About the midnight hour. Midnight hour. About the perfect lamp. About the blood. About the firstborn. But now the deeper things about firstborn. Hallelujah. Now what does he say here? Everybody focus on me. If you look at the following. The Lord gave Israel. When it comes to firstborn, he gave Israel a command. When it comes to firstbornhood or firstborn or the centrality of firstborn, the importance of firstborn, significance of firstborn, gravity of firstborn. Those words have used them. When it comes to the importance of firstborn to him at the time of demonstrating his love to mankind, then he gave Israel the following command. This is the command he gave Israel. Israel, he told Israel, can can I first share on the background, right? Look at this now. If you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word that says firstborn, and you look at the root word, meaning the derivative, the, where it's derived from, the origin, the root word. If you look at the root word, where the word, the Hebrew word, firstborn comes from, you find that that root is shared by the word that says first fruits." Like this. They come from the same root word. The word that defines firstborn and the word that defines first fruits" they share the common base, common root word, because it will help them understand this. Then he's saying the following. He's saying that when it comes to the importance of firstborn in his demonstration of unconditional love to men, then he gave a command to Israel. Look at what he did. He did this. Look, everybody here. He said, because he already pulled them out from Egypt as a nation of firstborns, as the firstborn nation. Follow this now. Look at what he's saying here. He's saying that he gave them the following command. He said, when it comes to your crops, the first fruits are mine. Ah. You really look at this, the dominant nature of this God, right? And you see, pastors have really manipulated this eh, to eat the church. But I'm talking about now the coming of the Messiah here, right? And the kingdom of God. You can, those, that, trash that, you know. Just listen to this now. Now look. He says, the first fruits are his. He commanded Israel, right? From your, your crops. And then he says the following. There are three components I'm doing now. I said the crops. Number two, when it comes to livestock, he also said that the firstborn from among all the livestock are his. Including the donkey he says, you must redeem the donkey with a lamb. He says, if you don't redeem, break his neck. You cannot have it. You cannot have it. That's just how firstborn is key to the Lord, right? Are you seeing that? He's saying this, that among the crops, the first fruits are mine. And that's why he emphasized the, the, the feast of weeks and in gathering, all that. Now, listen, when it comes to livestock now, second, livestock, firstborn of those animals, mine, including donkey, must be redeemed with lamb, right? Now, when it comes to men, now I'm on the third, the crops, the livestock, and now the human beings. Among the Hebrew people, he said, the firstborn sons are his. Hey, hey. Now you understand how big firstborn is to the Lord. Among the Hebrews, he now says, firstborn son is his. And there's a command which I'm going to read further. Can I first describe it a little bit? The command for the firstborn was this. Same redeem. Redeem applies here. He said this, that in every family, The firstborn son son, must always be given to the temple of the Lord to be a priest of Israel. Wow. Now that really becomes a nation of priests. Because that's a lot of priests. Firstborn son must be given to the Lord to serve God. And there's a process, consecration limit. Can we move on further? So you may understand these things better. Hallelujah. And now, the book of Exodus thirteen verses one to two. Are we there? Step by step, we're still on firstborn hood, eh? Hallelujah. He said consecration of the firstborn. He said, The Lord said to Moses, I'm now reading NIV, the Lord said to Moses, Sanctify, consecrate, and set apart to me all the firstborn males, whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites, both man and beast is mine. Wow. Amplified is very powerful because he's, he talks about it here. I, I have not read Amplified on this. Now I'm with you. We are learning together, right? He says, The Lord said to Moses, Sanctify. Do you understand the giving of firstborn from every family? Sanctify, consecrate, and set apart to me all the firstborn males. Whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites, both man and beast, is mine. <laughs> That's very powerful. So now you understand when he said he gave a command that when it comes to the firstborn, the crops, first fruit, the animals, livestock, firstborn. And then now he's to man. He's also talking about man. He says, Set apart, sanctify for me, consecrate for me, and set apart for me. That is what I meant by the giving to the temple for the service of the Lord, right? Are we together now? Let me read uh NIV now. And he says, uh the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belong to me, whether man or animal. That's an Ivy. Can I move on? Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Did you see the command now about the firstborn sons? That's now the command about firstborn sons. He says the firstborn always belongs to him. You just see the gravity of firstborn. Why he had to use the pillar. I'm now justifying to you why he had to use. The, you could call it when you're building a house. You know the way you can put blocks of cement and so forth. But inside there are tumors. You could call it those metals that offer the in the, the core support. is the firstborn. That's what he used to build the tower of his unconditional love to the church. Hallelujah. And now we see very clearly at the command I was talking about, where he said, even among the Hebrews, set apart your firstborn, give to the temple, must serve me. Then so many of them serving me, firstborn, the nation of priests. Hallelujah. But I'm coming to something very interesting now. Can we move on now? The book of uh, the same Exodus 13, but now we're talking about verse 11 to 13. Are we together? Redeem With the lamb, every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break his neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. He's talking about the firstborn. Same, still same principle. He said, if you don't give me, break the neck. Otherwise, redeem. Hallelujah. So, you see what he says. Now, can we jump to the book of Numbers? Numbers chapter 3, 11 to 13 if you don't mind, still advancing the significance of the firstbornhood in raising forth the power of God's unconditional love to the world. Right? Hallelujah. 11 to 13, this number 3 says, The Lord said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the firstborn male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine. For all the firstborns are mine. When I struck down all the firstborns in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether a man or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. Can I explain? Very powerful. He's saying that when Israel was coming out of Egypt, and he had already given the command that every first born from among the Hebrew families must be consecrated, sanctified, set apart, and given to God for serving, to serve the Lord as priest of Israel. You see that? Priest of the Lord in Israel. Priest of Israel, right? But he's saying now, because of the sin, because of the breaking of covenant all the time, and especially the building of a golden calf in the wilderness, because they built forth a golden calf in the wilderness, And worshipped. Because they caused such an abominable worship to happen. He said, however now, I have only chosen Aaron and his type. I have now chosen the Levites in place of the firstborns. (laughs) That means, if you have the right of firstborn, because of sin you can lose it. Be careful now. He's now bringing another concept on firstbornhood. He's saying this firstbornhood also now has a spiritual context. Are we together now? He's now saying that this firstbornhood, in as much as it is really the first, because of, he's the first, because of that, that's alright. But he says now there is also a spiritual connotation. And it is true. While he says Israel is my firstborn nation, my firstborn Israel. But if you look very carefully, the twins were fighting in the womb, right? And when they were fighting in the womb, one of them came first, the other one was holding. So Esau came out first. <laughs> Esau should have been firstborn. Came out first. Was born first. Jacob actually came after. I am now introducing the spiritual context. The spiritual context of firstbornhood. And that is very important because it really underscores the fact that whether you are firstborn, if you are firstborn, don't fool around with your firstbornhood. You can lose what I'm going to see very shortly here. The right of firstborn. I'm going to handle the right of firstborn here. Why he chooses firstborn? So we have read uh, we have read the book of Numbers 3, uh, 11 on, still emphasizing the issue of firstbornhood The need to give to him. But now he's saying that because of the abomination that was done, the spiritual context. Even now, I've raised forth Esau and Jacob. And I said, look, Esau was the firstborn. But the Lord took Jacob as firstborn. Did you understand me now? And he says, therefore, we need to be careful with firstborn wood. Otherwise, that right can be taken away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Numbers chapter 8, verses 17 to verse 19. Then he said, every firstborn male in Israel, whether man or animal, is mine. When I struck down the first bo- all the firstborn of Egypt, I set them apart for myself, verse 18. And I've taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons of Israel. Of all the Israelites, I've given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons to do the work of the tent of meeting. On behalf of all the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. Can I explain this now? He's saying that now the firstborn, now we are seeing a very important concept, component, aspect of firstborn. He's saying, now because of the sin that happened there, I took for myself the Levites and Aaron and his sons, Ishtamar and so forth, Eleazar, Nadab, Abihu, you know them all. I took those sons and I took the Levites now to stand in for the firstborn sons. But if they stand in for the firstborn sons, then the following has to apply. If the Levites now will stand in for the firstborn sons, meaning they are the only ones, (laughs) this is very powerful, those firstborn now, they are the only ones now that can come before me. Did you understand the power of firstbornhood? He's saying only the firstborn were supposed to come as priests before him and sacrifice on behalf of the land. Hallelujah. And now he's saying he has taken Aaron because of the sin that happened. And Aaron now replaces all the firstborn from every family, from every tribe. But look at this now. He says, however, for the other sons, because the firstborn is still mine, for the other tribes, look at this now, for those non levites so to say, when they have a firstborn, they will not take the firstborn. They have to first bring him to the temple and redeem him. Do you understand the concept he's bringing in now? To redeem the firstborn. And you will see how important this concept is in the message I'm giving to you today. Hallelujah. He's saying you must redeem him. But he's saying now, because of the sin, because of the breaking of covenant all the time, and especially the building of a golden calf in the wilderness. Because they built forth a golden calf in the wilderness and worshipped. Because they caused such an abominable worship to happen. He said, however, now I have only chosen Aaron and his type. I have now chosen the Levites in place of the firstborns. That means if you have the right of firstborn, because of sin, you can lose it. Be careful now. If you know that this message has touched you, and you know that you are not right with the Lord, please, repeat this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I repent today and reject sin. Lead me into righteousness. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Please protect me in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.